0: You're listening to Art Snap, a podcast giving you a quick skim of famous works of art.
1: Hey, this is Claire. And this is
0: Zach. Hey, Claire. It's our very first podcast. This is so exciting.
1: I'm so glad we're finally doing this. We've worked on this idea for a long time. I can't wait to share it with people.
0: You and I have known each other for years, and we've always gotten into these fascinating discussions, often long-winded, about our favorite works of art, and here we are actually doing a podcast, just two friends sharing some of our favorites and telling the stories that got them here.
1: Yeah, I enjoy art alone, but I really love having conversations with you, Zach, and I get so much more from art when I compare and hear another person's takeaway from the art and those meanings that they get that maybe are just under the surface.
0: So for our very first piece, and we're doing kind of one piece per episode, uh, what do you have for us today?
1: Well, I'm bringing us a painting. And yes, we're going to talk a lot about paintings, but don't worry, it won't be the only medium we discuss on this show.
0: Right. You know, we've talked about big plans to bring in sculpture and architecture and even some installation pieces. But let's start with this painting because I love painting
1: too. We're going to look at Max Ernst today. Max Ernst, Europe After the Rain 2. And along the way, we're gonna talk about the Dadaist art movement. We're gonna learn about an interesting way that Max Ernst escaped a World War II prison camp. And if you listen carefully, you might just get a great idea for a Halloween (laughs) costume.
0: Okay, well great, this sounds fantastic. So let's step up to the painting. Um, Can you describe it for us? It's it's kind of a tough one.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm gonna do my best. So picture this, a medium-sized horizontal canvas. It's just under five feet wide only about 21 inches tall. So we're looking at a wide outdoor landscape. Far off in our distant background, we have a tranquil blue sky, soft white clouds. But coming forward, the entire foreground of the painting, we see a shocking scene of ruin, devastation, decay, covering the ground. We see these piles of broken columns, towers, but kind of in a truly colorful palette.
0: Gosh, I love these colors. I mean, the warm ochres and the reds, but also the greens and blues that kind of play play off of that.
1: Yeah, definitely. We see layers and layers of organic texture. So it's meant to look like an apocalyptic European landscape. Max Ernst painted this in 1940, and the process lasted through 1942, so right in the midst of World War II. Those two years, his work was interrupted. He himself fled Germany, ran to France. And then he found himself thrown into an internment camp. He translated those horrors that he lived into the painting. Surreal crawling piles of man-made structures and columns. Um, but, but this is, it's, it's more than just rubble.
0: Well, it's gotta be, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe this. I mean, it almost looks like it's underwater. The stacked towers of these kind of fungal-like clumps and almost a coral-esque texture.
1: Oh, well, exactly. I mentioned it's a surrealist landscape, so finding the right words is hard. Max Ernst didn't intend for this place to seem normal. His intention was for it to seem very abnormal and unearthly. Basically, uh, Europe, the cornerstone of Western civilization, was in ruin. Um, not just physical ruin, but the people of Europe are experiencing mental ruin. They're all reeling with the shared trauma.
0: I mean, the painting does have a feeling of loneliness, somewhat somewhat desolate. But, but I do get to see there's some figures there, too. What are we seeing those two figures standing in the middle of the piece?
1: Uh, yeah, so amidst all these bizarre towers, pillars, piles of ruin, we do see two central figures. Uh, my eye always goes to the male figure first on the right. To me, that other figure on the left, the female, she almost blends or even morphs out of the rubble. Like she's part stone statue herself. But back to that male figure. He's always described as a warrior, but do not picture a modern day warrior, or even a World War II soldier. Uh, he's posing like a statue of antiquity might pose. He has bare legs, one bare shoulder. He's got Togo-like cloth on him. He's gripping a tall, very thin spear. It gives us a delicate, tall diagonal line. Some say this warrior is not holding a spear, but maybe holding a battle standard. This tattered cloth is kind of hanging off at the top.
0: Hmm. So are we going to talk about that bird head on the person's (laughs) body? I mean, you seem to be conveniently (laughs) glossing over that point. Uh, It almost looks like the bird head is kind of facing toward the woman.
1: Right. Strange that I didn't bring that up. Because again, it's this disorienting place, right? Max Ernst loved putting birds in his paintings, his drawings, collages, really all of his artwork. The symbol of the bird was super important to him.
0: So ancient warrior with a bird head, cool spear, toga, this I see now is my Halloween costume.
1: (laughs) Yes, and maybe I should dress like that crumbling statue woman. Do you think anyone at all would ever get it?
0: Oh, not a chance, but I'm sure we get a few eye rolls along the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, if people ask you who you're dressed as, you just simply say, I'm dressed as Lop-Lop.
0: Lop-Lop? Claire, what is a (laughs) Lop-Lop?
1: So, back to Max Ernst using birds in much of his art. We do know that he gave this bird alter ego a name. He named it Loplop, Loplop the bird. Uh, he may have even called it Loplop Bird Superior. Now, this concept and symbolism we could go on for a while about. But for now, I just need you to know that Lop-Lop was a lover and a symbol of freedom, a huge lover of freedom.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. What bird warrior doesn't love freedom?
1: (laughs) Yeah, obviously freedom. A good thing. This is Max Ernst reacting to coming to terms with Europe's devastation after the war and, you know, his own personal devastation also.
0: So that's how we end up with this otherworldly landscape and strange bird men
1: hey, you should have known this was going to get weird. We can't be all that shocked by the landscape and these bizarre creatures.
0: I mean, Max Ernst was a Dadaist after all.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the style is the Surrealists and the Dadaist purpose. It's their calling card. We're going to talk more in about a minute about who the Dadaists were and how they were different from the Surrealists.
0: Okay, so let's go back in time a little bit. So Max Ernst, so he's German, right?
1: Yep, he was German born and raised. He actually fought in the First World War. So he's a shell-shocked veteran, but he's also a very active artist as the Nazis rose to power.
0: Well, the Nazis weren't exactly friendly to artists. In fact, they labeled many of them degenerates right from the start.
1: Yeah. Max Ernst feared for his life, and he fled Germany and settled in France. France was a much friendlier environment for artists and free thinkers. However, when the threats of the German invasion became real, France started imprisoning anybody that they called an enemy alien. This meant poor Max Ernst was put into internment camp.
0: Wow, so this guy gets thrown into a prison camp, called a degenerate, escapes, but then rejected there too. and while he's just trying to paint.
1: Yeah, another fun fact is that in order to get him out of the internment camp, up steps Peggy Guggenheim. Ah. She helped him escape, moved to America, and soon after they were married. This unfinished painting, Europe After the Rain 2, crossed the Atlantic with him. He finished the painting once he arrived in New York.
0: Wow. So Max and Peggy, wartime romance? What's going <laughs> well, on? The
1: marriage only lasted a short time. I'm not going to pretend I know the nature of that relationship. But as a huge patron and collector of the arts, she was probably using marriage just like another tool at her disposal to help Max Ernst. He had the golden ticket here. A wealthy art collector whisks him out of prison and hands him back his paintbrushes and his canvases along with his freedom.
0: She was the hero.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, so let's go back to that pen. The term Dada or Dadaist is often confused with Surrealists. So what's the difference here?
1: So the Dadaist actually came before the Surrealist. Most everyone has heard of the Surrealists. Their fascination with dreams. We, of course, have Salvador Dali. But before them were the Dadaists. They were specifically reacting to the horrors of war. And some say Dadaism was a war against war and its atrocities. They expressed their art um, through visual arts and, of course, music and sound. They rejected anything rational, anything logical, they were protesting capitalism, the bourgeoisie lifestyle, and they believed that all of these man made materialistic cultures were just feeding the war machine.
0: So I've heard people say that the origin of the word dada is that it's just a non word, generally just kind of nonsense babbling, much like we would say goo goo gaga in English for baby talk, that dada just means kind of the same thing, just really nothing.
1: Well, yeah, that is one theory. And some say another origin could be, um, it's like saying, yes, yes, like the sound of people blindly agreeing to things, the small people doing the evil biddings of war and tyrants. But I I think it is just like a nothing nonsense noise.
0: So it makes you question how well does using art that is often illogical and sometimes ridiculous to protest war work?
1: Well, that's just it. This was their protest, their rebellion against control and order and ultimately the atrocities of war. Dada saw that creativity and creation, i.e. art, was the exact opposite of destruction or war. So we end up going down this path of nonsense and absurd as a way of detaching from those deadly forces of man. So in a very
0: tiny little nutshell. The dottists use their voices or their palettes in this case, sometimes seeking out the absurd to kind of speak up and use their voice. But turning back to this painting, you know, I really enjoy its color and texture even without that historical context. Like it's just so sensory. It makes you want to touch it. It's bubbly. It's crackly. It's um, almost like moss. Uh, I don't even know. It's so many great, great elements to it.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. The appeal of this painting is definitely that. It's texture. If you're an art teacher and you're looking for an example of teaching texture, this is your painting, 100%.
0: Yeah, I've seen this same style in several other of Max Ernst's paintings over the years. It's definitely a hallmark of his work, and, but how did he get this texture?
1: Well, Max Ernst used a few techniques, including this method called decalcomania. He painted the shapes of the landscape, allowed the first layers to dry, and then apply, applied multiple other layers. He took a piece of glass and he pressed the glass onto the painting and then lifted up the wet layer of paint. The result was this coral-like pattern, the like the veiny designs inside of a leaf. This method exists earlier, but Max Ernst really ran with it. He loved how it was a method that involved an element of chance.
0: Ah, decalcomania, Nice. Now that's your 10-point word for the day. <laughs>
1: Yes, uh, and we get the modern-day word decal from the first part of that word, and it refers, you know, decal like a sticker or something you stick down and lift up.
0: Wow, very cool. This makes me want to go and experiment with paint and glass. So where can we see it in person? Is it currently on display somewhere?
1: Yeah, you can go see Europe After the Rain. It's here in the States in Hartford, Connecticut at the Wadsworth Atheneum Museum of Art.
0: It sounds like we've got a road trip to take. Thanks so much, Claire, for bringing this one to us today.
1: Well, thank you, Zach, for the great discussion.
0: See you next time. If you'd like to learn more about the work of art and the artist, check us out on Instagram, artsnap.pod.
1: If you liked hanging out today and talking about art, rate us and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts.
0: See you next time.